Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Ed was an actor, a pretty famous one at that. He was born in 1833 in Maryland to a family of actors. His father, as well as his two brothers, had all performed Shakespeare on stage for adoring crowds, and Ed had made a bit of a name for himself. He'd gotten his start in a performance of Richard III alongside his father, who favored a more outspoken acting style to Ed's quiet contemplation. Regardless of how they performed, though, one thing was certain— the family knew how to entertain. People came from all over to watch the men recite some of the most famous lines ever written for the stage. Then, three years after their first performance together, Ed's father passed away. Ed chose to remain with the show for an international tour, and it was on this tour where he gained wide acclaim for his talents. People in the United States and Europe knew his name, and it became synonymous with star. But his homeland was changing. A conflict that had begun in the South had migrated north and embroiled a country in a war unlike any other. Fathers were pitted against sons. Mothers stopped speaking to their daughters. Blood was shed in fields and streams from Georgia to New York as the Union fought to end the scourge of slavery infecting the southern states. It was time for Ed to come home. He boarded a ship bound for the U.S. and rejoined his family who had changed considerably in his absence. He and his brothers had found themselves on opposing sides, with Ed supporting the Union and his brothers in favor of the South. In fact, none of them appeared on stage together until 1864, when they participated in a charity to raise funds for a statue of William Shakespeare for Central Park in New York City. Coincidentally, 1864 was also the year Ed became a hero. He'd been standing on a train platform in Jersey City, New Jersey, when he caught sight of a boy just shy of adulthood beside him. A crowd had gathered to board the car and pushed him forward. Before he'd had a chance to get out of the way, the train began to move, spinning him off his feet at the edge of the platform. He nearly fell onto the tracks. But there was Ed, ready with lightning-quick reflexes. He grabbed the boy's collar and pulled him back up next to him. The young man recognized his savior, and thanked him profusely for what he'd done. Ed was only too happy to help, but had no idea who he'd actually saved. He wouldn't find out until months later, just before the country would enter a period of mourning for President Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, as we all know, was shot during a performance at Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth, an actor. Booth had a brother. Two, in fact, both of them also actors. He'd fallen out with one, however, a unionist named Ed, Edwin Thomas Booth. Edwin hadn't known his brother was going to assassinate the president. To perform such an act was unthinkable, even to many of the very few people who hated the man and what he stood for. But Edwin tried not to dwell on the dishonor his brother brought to his family's name. Instead, he sought solace in one simple fact. He'd done some good. You see, the young man that Edwin had saved on the train platform that day wasn't some random boy. In a letter he received just before the president's death, the truth had become clear. 
The boy had told his story to a Colonel Adam Badeau, serving under General Ulysses S. Grant. The colonel then penned a letter of gratitude for rescuing his newest recruit, a young soldier named Robert Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son. Both brothers had managed to change the nation, one for the worse, one for the better. We'll never know what might have happened if Edwin hadn't been there to prevent Robert Todd Lincoln from falling. But we do know one thing. Despite a lifetime on the stage, it was certainly the greatest performance of his life. The nature versus nurture debate has raged on for generations. How much of our lives, our personalities, and our futures are determined by our genetics, and how much is determined by our environment? For two Ohio men, the answer was clear. Jim Lewis was born in 1940 and adopted three weeks after he entered the world. His parents raised him in Lima, Ohio, alongside their dog, Toy, where he grew up to love math and carpentry but couldn't spell to save his life. As he got older, he fell in love with a woman named Linda. The two married and built a life together along with their son, James Allen Lewis. But of course, people change over time, and for Jim and Linda, those changes had been too great to reconcile. They divorced, but Jim eventually found love again, this time with a woman named Betty, who he later married. Our second man is Jim Springer. He was born in 1940 and adopted three weeks after he entered the world. His adoptive parents raised him in Pequa, Ohio, alongside their dog, Toy, where he grew up to love math and carpentry, but couldn't spell to save his life. As he got older, he fell in love with a woman named Linda. The two married and built a life together along with their son, James Allen Springer. But of course, people change over time, and for Jim and Linda, those changes had been too great to reconcile. They divorced, but eventually Jim found love again, this time with a woman named Betty, who he later married. And no, there's nothing wrong with your audio. Last I checked, podcasts can't get stuck in a loop like a vinyl record. Jim Lewis and Jim Springer didn't know each other. They didn't grow up together, but they lived incredibly similar lives. That's why scientists at the University of Minnesota were so interested in studying them. You see... Jim and Jim were twins who had been separated at birth. They'd never known their mother, and the adoption agency had told each set of adoptive parents that their new baby boy had a twin who had died in childbirth. As far as they knew, their Jim was the only Jim. It was during a trip to complete the adoption paperwork when Jim Lewis's mother overheard the clerk mention how the other child had also been named Jim. She encouraged her son to seek out the truth as he got older, and one day in 1979, he did just that. He contacted the court for his adoption records, and once he had them, he was able to track down the other Jim. After a short game of phone tag, Jim Lewis got a call, and he knew right away who it was. As it turned out, the two men had grown up fewer than 50 miles from one another. They were both chain-smoking Chevy drivers who vacationed at the same spot in Florida every year. The similarities were astounding for two men who shared DNA, but nothing else. What's even more shocking is how many times this phenomenon has occurred over the years. Jack Youf and Oscar Storr grew up in two very different households, Jack being raised Jewish and Oscar as part of the Nazi uprising in Germany, 
When they met, they were wearing identical sweaters and found out they shared receding hairlines, the same boisterous sneeze, and they always flushed the toilet before using it. Daphne Goodship and Barbara Herbert were also separated at birth and met each other later in life. Both worked in government, liked their coffee cold, got married at the same time, and gave birth to two boys and one girl. We might never have an answer to the nature versus nurture debate, as both are extremely important to how a person becomes who they are. However, what we do know is the bond between family members, especially siblings, is something too strong to ignore. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.